There's a lot going on. Lost my dad yesterday. I shouldn't be where I'm at. Statistically, single household parents. 80% of the people in jail right now had a single mother. So we grew up in the hood. A lot of my friends in the pen. Words are violence in your life. Nah, you ain't saying violence, dog. So you didn't get punched in the mouth, huh? <laughs> Pay respects to the women because childbirth is probably the hardest thing Dude, that's anyone will ever go through on this planet. All right, Wolfpack, welcome back to another episode of the Adaptive Alphas podcast. We've got a special guest today. Sway is the COO of Home Sourced Inc. He is a solar and culture chief, Wim Hof instructor, and a perpetual student and husband to a lovely wife, April. Yeah. You can't forget that one. No. That one's the most important. Yeah, if she's watching this, she'd be pissed. <laughs> Josue Valenzuela. He actually goes by Sway. <laughs> just... We'll see, in, I left the ho in college of Josue. So I just go by Sway now. Makes it a lot easier for individuals. How are you, man? Great, great. I'm uh, running a little late, and for being quite honest, uh, there's a lot going on. Lost my dad yesterday. Oh my gosh, that happened. It did. It did. Yeah. I'm so sorry to hear that. Oh, I'm, I really appreciate it. Taking it in stride. Um, seeing as the emotions come in and just, you know, letting them either like pass, fade, or sit and... It's been really nice to reflect, have conversations. You realize what's important. Mm. Had a conversation with uh, one of my reps. We were going to either fire her or promote her. Mm. One of the two, right? And it was a grave offense. And I just told her, I was like, hey, life's too short. She's like, well, actually, I'm going on a vacation with my father tomorrow. I was like, give him an extra hug for me. I just lost mine yesterday. And she was like, what do you mean? I was like, I'm being honest with you. Like, I, I wanted to fire you on this phone call. And, and then I was like, but it sounds like you were doing it in good nature. It seems like you have a good heart and good intentions. And like, I don't think you should be punished for something you were trying to do with good intentions. And I was like, and life's short. Uh, what do you want to do going forward? Were you trying to make that decision for the betterment or for the uh, sabotage of the company? And she's like, of course, for the betterment. I was doing it for my team. I was like, that's what I wanted to hear. I was like, we'll promote you then. Yeah. And so it was cool to, to um, make decisions based off of like, if you're like, I think this Marcus really says like, live every day as if if it was like your last day, mm. right? something along the lines. I butchered that miserably, but um, having that consideration that like, I'm going to die tomorrow. What do I want to do today? Like what's that decision going to be like? Mm. And that's what I did today because I, I, I don't, any other day, I probably just fired her. And today I, I decided to take the, a different perspective. This is pretty heavy. And I wanted to talk a little bit about this because we've talked uh, a couple of days ago about your father's condition. Do you have uh, a relationship with uh, loss? Yeah, early on, um, my grandmother passed. I was 12. She was the closest adult figure, guiding figure. She kept me um, very spiritual, very religious. Um, she sat us down right from wrongs, pretty much geared our morality. Um, from Mexico, she would come and stay with us six months out of the year, the max you can. And she was like our, our guiding light. You know, it was, it was my dad's mom and my didn't really have a relationship with him, but she was the most involved figure in our lives. It was really a cool dynamic. Lost her at 12 or 13. That was weird. It just didn't understand it. Uh, then I lost my aunt who also would come stay with us from Mexico. Just want to focus on sure. the matriarch, Abuelita. Right, because that's an important figure in the Latino household. As you are processing, I guess, in hindsight now, what did that experience teach you uh, as you started developing into adulthood? Honestly, I think it just scared the shit out of me. Really? Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I'll never forget it. The Diamondbacks won the World Series that night. We They told us she was going to be fine. She was probably going to make a full recovery. Went home. Then we came back. They said that she died in the middle of the night. I was like, 
she was like 90, 93, 94, so she lived a really long life. But that's where I really started contemplating life, getting into philosophy. That's where um, I was going through just a kind of a confusing religious upbringing. You know, I was raised on a Jehovah's Witness Bible, but I would go to like a Catholic church. So it was really like a dynamic where I really started questioning what life is and looking into it. And then I realized that uh, the more choices you have, the harder it is to choose. Mm -hmm. And I got really confused religiously. And so I started really looking towards like just uh, going to every church I could at that age. My mom just let me. I had friends who were Mormon, Lutheran, Protestant, Christian, Catholic, and I just went to all the churches. How old were you? I was 12 when I started that journey. And then how many churches and like what period of time? I would say until uh, about 18, 19, I probably went to, I didn't like join them, right? But I would go to like their mass and stuff. I'd say about like seven different types of religions. Just curious. You yeah. Because like, I didn't know that there was a difference at the age of 12. I thought God was God and that's just what it is. And I started realizing that there was certain avenues and paths you can take on a religious practice. So then I really started looking towards them. And uh, I mean, that just opens up a rabbit hole, right? And yeah. I went down that path and uh, I ended up, you know, we transitioned into like my adulthood. You know, you go into that uh, graduating college. Like now you got to start a life. Now you got to be the male of a family. I was that, that's a whole nother transition. And that scared the shit out of me. And so I was like, people are telling me I should know what I want to do for the rest of my life. And I had no idea. And I ended up finding um, a very like comforting spirituality in Buddhism mm. and physics. Mm -hmm. So when those two things clashed for me, I started realizing they say a lot of the same things with different, different terminology. Mm -hmm. And that's where I started to really hone in on who I wanted to be and Essentially, it's who I am today. It's just matured from the age of 23, 24, mm. 33 now. So about a decade long on something I feel really solidified in. And um, I can always turn back towards it. I'm, I'm never like lost inside of that trajectory. There's just always some form of solace I can find in, in some type of practice or teaching. But it was, it was, a, it was a long journey, definitely. Like going through uh, scared shitless in religion to then realizing everyone's saying the same thing, but from an egotistic perspective, like it has to be the way I want it to sound. And then to realizing that um, it's okay for anybody to believe in anything. It's more or less an acceptance. And I think that's where I was like, okay, this all makes sense now. Everyone wants to know what's going to happen when you die. Oh, the ultimate, life's ultimate yeah, mystery. Wants to know. And it's like, you're just scared not knowing. Okay, fine. Yeah. Let's go ahead and let's talk about it. Tell me, let, let's go down that path, right? And so I've lost a few really close people. The hardest one for me was my aunt. I was 21, studying uh, kinesiology, and she died of a brain tumor that was of an experimental drug that they were trying for kidney failure due to type 2 diabetes. Wow. So it was lifestyle, mm. the Mexican diet, mm. right? Like, which is the American diet. Which is the American diet, yeah. It's very, uh, it, it really broke me to know that it was preventative. Like, sincerely, I, that's where I really dove into, like, understanding life, understanding the, the body, the basics of nutrition. Kinesiology, I was already in it, right? 
this one. That's where I really started like reading my books, really getting into the biology of the things. And I mean, that's changed my life forever, man. I was, I was terrified. I walked into a room. She was my second mother, right? Like she really was. She was one of the only like family members in our family that really looked after us like her kids. I walked into that, the hospital room and uh, I gave her a hug. She had just had a stroke. So happy to see her. And she smiled. I was like, okay, cool. And then she looks at my mom and she goes, who is he? Mm. Bro, I broke. I literally, my life dropped in that moment. I was like, had this pit in my gut. I was just like, what do you mean? Like, that's possible? And then you, that's where like neurology, psychology, that's where I was like forever just mesmerized. It's like, you need to take this shit serious. Because if you don't, one day it might just slap you in the face and you'll wish you had just learned the basics. And so from that point forward, I just took it real serious. Went on like a whole existential crisis on diet and went towards like vegetarianism, veganism, really started being conscious about sustainability, which got me onto this track. I would say it was that decision right there, which turned me into sustainable sway, like really wanting to do something that can last as long as I live. Diet, physicality, relationships, um, just acts of leisure, whatever it's going to be, right? Like. It took me down a path I just wasn't ready for and grateful for now. Yeah, man. It sounds like there's a few hard truths that you were able to uncover from your experience. First hard truth is loss happens to everybody, right? We all experience it. Uh, we don't talk about it a lot. There's not, you know, a lot of education or coaching or anything around the subject of death. But it's so prominent, right? We literally all are not ever going to get out of this game alive, you know? Another hard truth that you came across was a lot of the chronic diseases or long-term illnesses are caused by personal choice. And I don't know what that statistic is. You know, there's a lot of things that we could, by changing your lifestyle, could avoid and prevent, like you said. You should definitely find the statistic because I'm a very high margin of it is lifestyle choices. It is the way you. Mm -hmm. I, well, I know 88% of Americans are metabol metabolically unfit. So that's like nine out of 10 people. Yeah, which it's is crazy. wild. It's yeah. wild. I'm asking you this because you have experienced loss with people very close to you throughout, a, your, throughout your life and at a young age. What lessons did you learn? Is there a process that you pulled from that that helped with the grief cycle of losing somebody so close to you? I think about that a lot with the closest people in my family are still alive. You know, So I, I don't know at this point, I don't know what I'm going to do when that happens. It you realize uh i had a call with a friend yesterday she's uh, my best friend since we were 12 and she was checking in on me shared about my dad came up with the term and it's you hear it so so often it is what it is but really at the root of that is acceptance you you realize you are in a cycle and the cycle is uh death and birth right and when you realize you're in that cycle it's kind of like infinite cyclical phase of life and you can't break it. You can't get out of it unless you die. And then when you die, that's the scary part. You don't know what happens after that. So I, th I think the, the biggest thing I learned from all of that was just accepting that there are some things that I will forever not be able to understand or have a real life experience of until it happens. And so, and that was the hardest thing for me is to realize that you cannot control life and that you can you can only do so much at certain points and there has to be this vulnerability and acceptance to what life is 
Because if not, then you're going to be scared. You're going to be anxious. You're going to be stressed. And at a really young age, you realize there's just certain things you can't break out of. And life is one of them. I'm going to live to be 2000 with the, what is it called? The microchip that Elon Musk. Yeah, Neuralink. Neuralink. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just playing. I mean, you might. I don't I would never want to be uploaded. <laughs> and even then, though, like that, that Neuralink, you could live 2000 years and it will honestly maybe even be two days for you. Because that's what perception is, right? Right. Perception is going to be manipulated heavy when that, that really comes into play. I think for me, like that's one of those like the Matrix, like the movies, not far. Like they're, they're calling these things organ organoids, and it's hum using human energies for technological advancements and like yeah. powering. And it's like, oh, you mean the Matrix? Mm, yeah. Okay, That's exactly. It. Yeah, I think when you're saying that, what what comes to mind is that the ephemeral nature of of life, that short shortness, the ultimate mystery, that black wall, essentially that nobody can look over or look past. If you look at it in, from a perspective, yeah, it can be very scary or it can cause a lot of fear, yeah. which I'm sure a lot of people lose sleep over it. For sure. But you can also look at it from a perspective of that is, that's why life is so sweet is because all we know is this experience and, and maybe that's all we are meant to know, you know, if we go to 10 different people from 10 different countries around the world, you know, there's 190 something countries, you know, sometimes we forget but there's a lot of culture, a lot of diversity. Ask 10 different people from de 10 different countries. They'll probably tell you, 100% of the time, they'll probably tell you mm -hmm. their perception of whether it's Allah or it's Krishna or it's Jesus, you know, that something's going to happen after they die and they know exactly and that's why they pertain to that faith. What did you find as far as spirituality goes? You said you're now more into science and Buddhism. Yeah, yeah. So, um, going from that existential crisis, or segueing from like loss and death, or just more or less philosophy, right? Got into um, something that I can do day in and day out. Something I can go to sleep proud about, wake up excited about, and that's sustainability, right? And when I say sustainability, I mean sustainable lifestyle. I mean it in the sense of like, if I can do it today, I can do it when I'm 88. I can do it when I'm 98, right? Something that's long. It's a longevity to it. There's there's more than just the momentary and the instant gratification that's so normal these days, right? And um, that's where I got into solar. Got into solar in 2012. Uh, I started installing it, fell in love. Just due diligence, right? Like I'm young. I have a nature to want to heal, to do things that are better for the world, progressive. Solar, I'll go install, I'll learn. And I actually wanted to do sales and they they said, you, you need experience. And was bullshit. You don't need experience. They were <laughs> no, just, that, that's what sales they is, They were right? just saying, they were selling me, right? Saying yeah. I could sell them back. And I was like, cool, I'll go. They needed technicians. <laughs> yeah, I'll go sell. I'll go sell. Who'd you work for? for? Solar City. Yeah, so Elon Musk company, actually. He Elon started Musk. it. Yeah, Elon Musk and his cousin started this franchise of a behemoth in the solar industry. Fell in love with it. Got into installs. Learned everything. Started selling it. And it was just unheard of to have somebody from the roofs then knocking doors and selling solar. And everyone's like, I'm a hippie, bro. I had long hair, big old goatee. <laughs> and everyone's like, you can't sell solar on sustainability. I was like, you can't. Mm -hmm. I can. And this is why I'm here. Watch me. Did really well in sales. I was top 3% every year that I sold it door to door. And then I got into the side of realizing that I just essentially fell into one of the largest industries in the world. I didn't mm -hmm. know that then. Mm -hmm. But like you look at the growth, you look at the trajectory, 
solar is going to be here for the next hundred years. I'd say it's going to outlive us for sure and just its growth. Mm -hmm. And um, then I got into the side of realizing, okay, so solar is going to be my my main play. I'm going to stay in that space. This is where I'm going to I'm going to build my more or less my professional career. Like, what am I going to add to as far as like my my hobbies? Like, what do I really want to look into and like making sure other people understand and um, in solar, I got into dealing with people in HR. Like I was like a really good recruiter. I, mm-hmm. I focused all on the culture. Like when I mean the culture, I mean quite literally the shit that grows when you, you know, drop some form of a nutrient and then, you know, starts to proliferate in that sense. And mm-hmm. I realized that human beings create cultures by what they say, what they do, how they interact, you know, just motive methods. And, uh, I started really focusing on the individual. Like if I can make you happy at home, at work, well then those interactions are going to seep into, you know, the customer, to your team, to our meetings. Like I can keep it lively, keep it light, mm-hmm. but at the same time we just keep a drive to what the goal is, really curating the culture. I did really well. We we uh we were set to to benefit at what's called a cost of turnover. If you're familiar with that term, it's just the money that that it takes to replace somebody, mm. and we reduced that by one fifth my first year in my position. Like, well, we were sorry, we paid one fifth of what we did the previous year. So, say half a million, mm-hmm. we went to a hundred thousand in in one year span. They're like, dude, what were you doing? It's like, I was taking care of the individual. That's it. So, I got really into the side of like psychology, sociology, and realizing personal and professional. There's no there's no difference. You're the same psyche and both settings so let's nurture that and so that's from solar to culture and solar when you're talking about the uh, the cost of turnover yeah. the last i checked which was 2015 cost of turnover to replace an employee's was one and a half of a year salary is that still the case yeah yeah <laughs> it's it's scary too you don't realize mm-hmm. what you lose when you lose a tenured employee right you, lo- you lose a, a big piece like an arm almost mm-hmm. and you have to regrow that arm so a lot of people don't really understand like what it goes into all of that, but you essentially have to add in all the manpower mm-hmm. from the marketing to the lead generation, to the recruiting, to the training, to then the new, say, uh, component or the new um, substance that's going to enter into this culture and it's mm-hmm. going to dye its color forever different. You know, like nobody takes that into consideration. If you want bright blue and you just put somebody in there that's black, Mm-hmm. And you don't know they're black, right? You won't know that until... Whoa, what do you have against black? I love black, bro. It's <laughs> okay. my favorite color. <laughs> when we're talking about colors. Yeah, right? I know what you're saying. But, yeah, it's interesting because I think context matters too because when we're talking about like medium and large size companies, that science and or that uh, mathematics makes so much sense. But when you're talking about small mom and pop shops, they don't give a shit. No. I, the very few people are like, I have like two or three employees. I don't care. You know, just get me a good worker that's going to show up. That's all I care about. But when you're looking at like Solar City, or for me, when I was building a recruiting software in that 2015, 2016, I was diving into all of that mm-hmm. because I saw the processes of the average sales manager and sales rep and how we had to go take out a dozen people to lunch and schmooze them and wine and dine them and sell them on the dream of becoming whatever they wanted, you know, coming through us. And then we'd spend all this time training them, bringing them on the door, shadowing all this for them to leave three weeks later after months of, you know, yeah. months of due diligence and, and effort. And I'm like, this is not sustainable. So that recruiting company was literally for how do I how do I find the 
that small percentage of people who stick in door-to-door sales? How do I find them? How do I measure them down to a data point using psychometric testing? And then how do I place them with these larger organizations? We had something like three or $400,000 in pre-sales, people ready to commit to this, this software. And you end up going down this rabbit hole and realizing you can't actually bring anyone down to a data point. At best, it might, you know, you might curb, I don't know, 25% attrition or whatever, but you can't, like, I was like, I'm going to dial in, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you can't do that to a human, you know. You, you, you really can't. Um, we are impulsive creatures. We are sensitive creatures. We do things because we heard a noise. Like, it's, it's this really crazy thing that um, there's a study that showed that, like, me and you, we can barely process, like, you know, like, um, like, let's just say it's like a one thousandth of a millisecond of, of a screenshot, right? Mm-hmm. You and I wouldn't be able to read it, but our brain would process it and mm-hmm. it would actually affect our decision making down the way. Mm-hmm. And it's it's insane on how sensitive we are, but we're not aware of how deep those senses really go. Mm-hmm. And that's where I don't think we can really go to a data point, but you can create a culture. Mm-hmm. You can set expectations. You can say like, you either get with it, with it or get lost. Mm-hmm. Like so, if you can find a group of individuals who do harbor somewhat of the same characteristics and visions that you do have, and then you build something that's actually built on equanimity, it's mm-hmm. actually built on equality, it's actually built on um, what you said it was going to be. Mm-hmm. Then you will start to realize trust and loyalty is really at the end of it. the The best way I can say it is that you have to build a mafia. <laughs> Yeah. I'm sincere when I say that too. You have to trust them with your life. Yeah. Let's dive into that. Okay. So you have to build a mafia. What does that mean? You have to build a relationship that, and this is the way I say it to my best friends. I tell uh, my brother, my best friends, I say, look, I'm giving you a knife to my back and I'm not going to look at you ever. And every day that we have conversations, I tell you, I love you. And I confide in you certain things. I sharpen that blade every day. And if there was a day you wanted to stab me in the back, I would ask you to kill me swiftly mm. because you would be doing me a service. Because if you stabbed me and you didn't kill me, it would be the worst thing in my life and you would have the worst vengeance mm-hmm. upon you, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Because that's that's what a mafia is. Like it's built on what this value basis of like you have to um, scratch my back, I scratch your back. Yeah, because your life depends on it. Exactly. Because yeah. you have skin in the game. Exactly. Everyone calls me crazy. And I've always said this, that um, you can learn a lot from mafias and cartels. Mm-hmm. Uh, not from the sense of like what they're doing isn't at all like condoning or it's good or not at all. But when it comes to what they're dealing with, it's do or die. It's life and death. And if it's a very stoic perspective because, you know, I started this conversation off saying like I was making decisions like it was my last day. Mm-hmm. Well, when you make decisions on business moves, it could be your last move mm-hmm. if you're doing it with deceptive intentions if you're doing it to stab somebody in the back, mm-hmm. right? Like the ramifications of that are, oh, yep. they're endless depending on what you do and who you do it to. So yeah, if you, if you build a mafia with those around you, trusted friends, family, whatever it is, at the end of it, all I'm saying is that there has to be the ultimate trust in what you're doing and honesty in what you're doing. Because if not, then what's the point? Like we're just playing this game to build this stress and have to worry about what mm-hmm. somebody's going to do against you or if they're telling you the truth. Like there's just so many um, loose ends and those loose ends like stresses a thought. Inflammation 
can be caused simply by thinking negative thoughts. 100%. And there's this book called The Inflamed Mind. Changed my world. I've never read that. They say stress, inflammation, mm-hmm. and depression roll in a trio. Oh. And they don't know which one's first. Mm. So stress, as in thinking stressful things, mm-hmm. can cause you to feel depressed. Mm-hmm. Depressed can send catecholamines to the brain. Depression, mm-hmm. which makes you start to inflame the body. And then it's just this vicious cycle and it doesn't stop. Mm-hmm. So inflammation from what we eat can cause negative thoughts, can cause depression. Yeah. Vicious circle. A loss in a family caused depression, negative thoughts, inflammation, negative circle. Like it's, it's, it terrified me on thinking negatively. Mm. It, not, that, not that you can't think negative thoughts, but you can't sit on them. Mm-hmm. Right. You have to like like they say, you, you your brain is a stream of thoughts. And just like a river, you can never hold on to that position of the stream. Right. Like they say, if you step into a river today or right now and then you st- get out of it, you're never going to be the same person that stepped in that same river for you're not the same nor the river because it kept flowing. Mm-hmm. Same deal when it comes to your thought process. When you hold on to something, you're you're trying to hold on to a stream. And that's actually not how it works. So then you get stressed out, right? Then you start going down this path of like trying to control things you have no control over. And you have to just accept things for what they are. And that's where a lot of that comes from. Like really the basis of my life now is to help people stress less. Mm-hmm. That's where when I say culture, my culture is revolved around stress management. Mm-hmm. And that's, I understand if if you come you know, and from a personal life and something's going wrong in your life, I need to ask you about that. Mm-hmm. How how was last month? What happened? Like, what was stressed you out the most? What made you the most happy? Great. Next month, let's circle back and let's just make sure that that stress is alleviated somewhat. And if not, how can we help you? Right? So then I can make sure that your stress management is being a priority so that your stress is being reduced. So then you can enter states of flow and optimism a little bit more readily and quickly. Mm-hmm. So that's really like the whole premise behind all of that. When I say culture, I mean like culturing an environment that's going to curate optimization through less negative stress because there are good stresses, ice baths, saunas, working out, hard conversations. Like there's a use stress which builds positive effects long-term. Mm-hmm. But again, it's it comes down to like knowledge and understanding the difference between negative and positive stress and understanding the all well, the conversations that need to be had so that you can actually start to relinquish some of the stress. Mm. Like they say that the the best way to relinquish stress is to speak to somebody that is in the same situation or has been in the same situation. Because as human beings, we can energetically feel the transition or the conversation from somebody who knows what it feels like. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. I have that conversation with my wife all the time mm-hmm. because, you know, she'll have her, her menstrual cycle coming on and I'll be like, yo, like you sound like you need a friend and she'll like just be talking to me and I, I'm not the best person to talk to when you just want to have an echo chamber. Mm. Like if you just want to mm-hmm. bitch to me <laughs> and like, yeah, you just want to stress about things like, I'm solution oriented. I will start, but that's not what she needs. She's going to get so mad at me and she's going to get so frustrated and she's going to think that there's a blip in our frequency. And it's just like, oh no, no, like my love, like I, 
I don't do well sitting in negativity. Like it causes inflammation and I start getting depressed. Like I'm not trying to be there. So I quite literally, as soon as I, I feel that like blip in our frequency, I just call our friend. Hey, can I pay for you guys' lunch? Like, wait, wait. That's a great advice. That's Dude, some great advice. It, yeah. it changed our relationship. And I even tell my wife, I'm like, I think it's time I call your friend. <laughs> yeah, because you can't be everything for all people. And so that's important for you to know masculine, where where you generally, what type of container you generally hold well versus the type of container she needs to thrive in. Yeah. And that's another very, you know, I guess feminine or another woman generally. They 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 don't they don't uh you know my my fiance she's uh she's in the beauty world and they can gossip and complain until their face is blue for hours and never feel energetically drained but if like you if you're just complaining at me for 5 minutes i'm like i'm done i'm done with this conversation let's talk about good things bro, that happened today <laughs> i'm like i'm like bro what is your goal we are, we are alive yeah what is your goal yeah. Like my wife looks up all of the like the worst negative things in the world. And I told I literally, bro, I, I said last night we were eating dinner and she's telling me about this miserable experience. Like this man just got ripped up by a pit bull. I mean, like oh, disgustingly. Shit. Like disgustingly. And she's just telling me the story in like vast detail. And I'm eating my food and I realize I'm like, you do realize one negative thought takes five positive thoughts or five to six positive thoughts to replace that negative thought. And I said that to myself. So I put my food down. I went and I sat on her and I grabbed her face. And I told her, I'm like, I just want to let you know I love you so much, but you are bringing a lot of negativity to your psyche right now. And I know that this is going to cause um, domino effect of negativity down the road in other conversations. And I just want to let you know, like, do me a favor and look up what amazingly positive things have happened in the world today alongside that negative one. I just need to know that you're balancing out these banters of conversations that you're having in your head because I just, I, I know what it'll do later. You know, I just want to make sure you're taking care of yourself because I, I even said it to her. I was like, I don't want one thing to ever happen in my life on the stories you've told me in the last week. Mm -hmm. I, I pray that they never even like come into the existence of my network family or anyone I've ever encountered. Yeah. I'm like, tell me something that I can hope for. Tell me something that, that I might want in my life because negativity is just not one of them. And it, it's, again, it, it goes down to like, I don't know why a lot of women like to listen to more murder podcasts. Wild. Wild. Dude, if you look, if you watch and listen, like you see who's listening to this shit. It's it, predominantly women. Predominantly. Yeah weird dude my, my my wife puts that on when she's cooking every night. <laughs> no no way every night no dude. way I, I want the wolf pack to really extract the the importance of what you said and the message of what you said because we all know who jim Rohn is at least if you're in the personal self-development mm -hmm. and he said you're like the yeah. five people you spend the most time with yeah, yeah. you know whether he said that in the 1970s or 1990s i think it was first published in the early 2000s that has impacted and made a ripple effect through the self-improvement and self-help world. But it even that is antiquated. Now that in 2023, you're not like the five people you spend time with. You're now like the five people you spend time with. You're like the five books you spend the most time with. You're like the five podcasts you spend the most time with. You're like the five TV shows mm -hmm. you spend the most time with. You're like the five social media posts that you spend the most time with. And now with all this varied like 
you know, social media content, you are just, you're, the algorithm is just reserving you over and over and over in doses of 15 to 60 seconds, whatever message and whatever you're resonating with the most. And most of our minds and psyches, um, due to, I don't know, evolution or how God intended, they skew negative for survival to yeah, ensure survival the survival of our lives. So after a certain period of time, you'll see most of that content skews negative. So that's like the newer version of what you're saying, which is so important, so profound. It really is. Like I've done it. Like I've, I've, every time I say something negative, I, I have this routine now with my wife. We've been doing it since we started dating three and a half years ago. Um, we say three words of gratitude before you eat anything. That's it. When it could be like the sun, this podcast, and your daughter. Because those are the first three things I thought of. Like, I am grateful for them because they're in my my stream of psyche. Like those are just things that, and I, I we've done it every meal, focusing on positive things, right? And so it's a, it's a way to look at like, you know, yesterday my dad died. So it's like my three things that I was grateful for were the three things he left me with, right? Charm, you know, psyche, because he's, he's a really smart dude. And then um, the other one was experiences. So it's like you could, there's always another side of the coin, right? Like you were, it's like I always think of like all all emotions are um, they're of the same frequency, but depending on where you read it, right? So it's like if there's a vibration of love and hate, it's where are you looking at that string at that time, right? But I believe I really do believe that they all hold the same uh, effects or they have the same hormonal releases on the body. And it's really just how your perspective's held on them. Because if you hate somebody truly, is because they're on the other side of it, you can love them truly. Anyone you do hate, there is the capacity to love because it's it's on that same vibration. Yeah, it's on that same line. And and um, that's just, just, it's the same thing with positivity and negativity. Like, it's up and down, right? It's the duality of existence. It's it's really understanding that anything that is negative, like, well, there is another side to that too. Like, where can we see the positive? What can we learn from it? And I guess that's one thing I want to make sure that um, everyone understands when it comes to like your partners or your relationships. It's like, they, they have to get it out. Like it's in their brain, first of all, but that doesn't mean that you have to like knock them for it. You just find a way to spin it to the advantage for the whole. And I think that's... Uh, I mean, it's difficult in relationships. It's a lot of compromise. Yeah, that's so true. I'm just trying to imagine. Um, I'm trying to imagine Shelly listening to murder podcast while she's cooking. I just I, there's no way. <laughs> Turn that shit off. <laughs> yesterday, don't don't put that shit on in my house. Yeah, you know, again, compromise <laughs> is the key to relationships. You know, that's what I've learned. And my wife loves murder podcast. You know what? I, I even humor her on some car rides. I'd be like, hey, we get. Uh, you know, my kind of nonfiction, knowledge-based book, in between we'll listen to a murder podcast. And she's down. So now our, our rides are me learning to stay off dark roads in a country, you know, like a countryside area so you don't get picked up or just blunged over the head. And it's wild. Like, yes, oh, yeah, yesterday she said a, a lady sold real estate. Like, she was a media mogul. She got chopped up by Wait, her. real estate or media mogul? So she's a media mogul with, with real like this really nice real estate okay. in, in Southeast Asia. And she got chopped up by her ex-fiance and his dad. Damn. Chopped up. 
like she even yeah. said it's a, it was an electric chainsaw. Okay. And then they put her head in soup with mushrooms and carrots, so all of her flesh what boiled the off. Fuck? And she's telling me this in detail. That's when I sat on her lap and I told her, I was like, you're going to need to yeah. tell me, like, go tell me a really positive story after that one, please. Yeah. But I'm just saying, like, for whatever reason, she says she doesn't like violence. She says she doesn't like, you know, any kind of physical nature. Mm-hmm. And then she puts these, like, thought processes in her mind that it's like, bro, I can't. <laughs> that is so. It's scary. I, I'm not. I, I'm not a. I would never hurt a fly. Yeah. Anyways, play. And so then we ripped the flesh off of his bones. <laughs> like what? There was literally yeah. she's like there was no flesh on. It was just a skull in a pot. In a, in a pot. I was, when did you start falling in love with? We'll just categorize it on personal development or self growth. When when did you actively decide like this is making or this is enhancing my life enough to that this is going to be a daily thing for me? Because uh, you're, for the listeners, one of your goals is to create the largest book club in the world. In the world, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So how did we get to that point? In college, I was dating a girl, um, fell in love with her, but um, Ho Sway still had the Ho in his name. So I didn't really break any of my, you know, commonalities in dating. I broke her heart. And it was the first time that I actually felt like a deep sense of remorse. I, you Why know, her? I, uh, she was a sweet, kind-natured, like, best way I could say it, just naive. Mm. It shouldn't have happened to a girl like that. She was so sweet, so kind-hearted. And, like, and when I heard her cry, it really broke me. And I was like, damn, I've never, like, I probably made girls cry, but I've never heard it. And this sounded like, again, I never wanted to hear it again. And I felt really bad. Again, I was probably growing into my own as a junior in college coming into, I'm sure, more like mature mentalities and psychologies. But at that moment, I made a decision, like sincerely. I made a decision that I was never going to cheat again, period. I, I just made a decision and I moved forward. You know, I was reading Buddhism and, and physics at the time. It's really changed my life. Um, you know, Buddha says you can't change anything in the past. You can learn from it and then you can move forward on how you see fit. And you have to do your best. And that's all you can do. And you have to accept what ramifications come and move on, right? They say it's the, uh, it is the bravest of those who ask for forgiveness. It is the strongest who can forgive. And it is the wisest who can forget. Wow. That's powerful. Very. You know, like I've, I've been saying that over and over because like as my dad died, I, I forgave him for a lot of reasons, but I never told him I forgive you. And when he, as soon as I found out he died, that's the first thing I said in my mind. It's like, hey, I forgive you. You know, like, that's it. Like, and I realized, like, he had asked for forgiveness about a month ago at my niece's birthday. And I told him, like, what do you, he said sorry on a few things. And I was like, what do you have to be sorry about? You lived your life. You enjoyed it. We're here. We're breathing. Thank you. But if you want to say sorry to somebody, go, go talk to the, my mom, whose life you made a bit more difficult, raising kids by herself. So I could tell I, I had resentment in my voice when I said that. But then as soon as I found out he died, I was like, I forgive you. I wish I would have said that. You know, I wish I could. But in that moment, I didn't because I didn't say it. You know, it's not what crossed my mind. I wanted to be more combative and like I want to respond to him quick, quick witted. And then last night I, when I when I did say it, I felt really good. I was like, oh, because I do. I just I wish I would have said that one more time to him, you know. I, if I have one regret, I said this to my sister. I, was like, I would have had another shot of tequila with him and said, 
I forgive you, you know. That would have been nice. But either way, either way, we'll, we'll carry it on. But yeah, like it's... And if we're being honest, the machismo that is within the Latino male, uh, you would have been like, I forgive you, and you'd be like, forgive me for what? You know, like it wouldn't have gone the way that you probably <laughs> probably imagined. <laughs> I didn't do nothing, you know what I mean? It's like, and then that combative kind of competition that is underlying every uh, dynamic with Latino males and their fathers. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> Very similar, but he, he was, uh, he's brittle. Yeah, he's, you know, if we can say this and maybe you do cut it or not, he was narcotraficante. Oh, okay. So really early on in his life, uh, he's, he was, he was him. Mm-hmm. He was him, you know. He was a big time? Oh, yeah. He was, like, if you see pictures, he had, like, two two bracelets, full gold, massive, oh. massive gold. Now, he was wearing, like, I don't know, 30, 40K in jewelry. You know who else just came out and said that in, in, in the more culture space? Ralph Barboza, that comedian. Oh, wow. His whole family was mafia. I didn't know. Or a cartel. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, I don't know, man. I was just uh, I was just observing and I, you know, he's like, I tried it. I tried to do it for a couple weeks and then I made a lot of money and I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. He's like, All, my grandpa, my father, they both went to prison, came out. Yeah. They're good. Like Pops our family's in the pen. Wow. I was born. He was in the pen. Like my yeah, first pictures with him. Yeah. My, my first pictures with my dad. I'm, he's in the jean jumpsuit. Oh, shit. Yeah, he's in the pen. Are you able to create a space between, are you able to create space between you and, and that? Like, oh, that, 100%. How do you do that? I learn from it. Yeah. Like, I read everything about it. Yeah, it that's doesn't I, feel like, though, that you have the decision to make space if that's your family member. Does that make sense? Um, You know what? That's a good point you bring that up. I was uh, 15 years old. I went to his house, and he got raided by fake DEA. Fake DEA. Fake. It was just another rival gang. Oh, they were just shit. stealing from. So we were held at gunpoint. That was scary. It was very terrifying. So I made that line that day. I just drove over the line. I said, hey, as a family, it's dangerous for us to be there. We're not doing that anymore. It's not worth, you know, getting to have that one visit once, twice a year. No. Nah. It, it could have cost our, cost our lives. And we mm-hmm. were just there. We were just you know, innocent bystanders. We have nothing to do with this. But um, just distancing and, and understanding um, kind of how it all worked out. I think that's where I got super interested in like how to run business on the back end of what they're actually dealing and what's being set on. If they're just negotiations. It's just being super creative in a, you know, a boardroom. They're just talking about ways in which they can move and circulate economies and, and goods. It really is when it comes down to it, just a really high stakes supply chain management. Yeah, it takes a, a really a really open minded and a really conscious person to make that association, right? Because I think for all of the the positives that you're bringing out, we can also bring out a lot of negatives, right? It's like the positive we can extract all the positivity from the cartel, but then we can also extract all of, of the other shit that comes with it. Yeah. Because w- yeah, I, and I, I'm, I'm all for all lessons. You know what I mean. I'm open to all lessons. Um, one of the things. So we're now, we're now. Let's play in, over. Let's let's talk in that arena of positivity because I don't want to talk about the the of negativity course, yeah. that obviously the cartel or mafias bring. But in a positive light, uh, the lessons I really like is the skin in the game aspect. That's something that I just. I read that book because of you, by the way. Brilliant. Amazing book. Dude, that guy is brilliant, Amazing. isn't he? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I started rereading it last night in preparation for this podcast. And 
one of the things that I want to outline, I think, the story that just the the way that he phrased it in this book that I think even our audience can understand is when we talk about economies or businesses or how people deal with each other and they have skin in the game, we don't necessarily mean you have to, you know, put your life on the line. But one of the meanings he's trying to get the uh, readers to understand is let's say you're or you're contracted to build a house. And let's say the average the average builder builds a house in a certain way. In one economy, the guy has skin in the game. So he knows that if he doesn't build this house in a certain way, meaning let's say the house falls on top of, uh, let's say the house kills the family that lives there or, or hurts somebody deeply. Yeah, he dies. Right? So, so and then, then you have the other aspect where they don't have those sort of deep roots of responsibility is really ultimately what I hear. Then the people that don't have are disconnected. He says, cut from the earth, cut away from the earth, disconnected from uh, the results of what happens are more prone to cut corners. And that's, I think that is the ultimate lesson in that book, which is if the people who are creating businesses, who are, who are, uh, responsible for culture who are like there's just so many different roles that they're playing if they aren't if they're leading and they're making rules and making people do certain things but they're not tied to the results of those things how how would they not cut corners you know what i mean it's like you're building in an opportunity for them to cheat and so in that in that story the the builder if if he his house his contract his hands built something that that hurt or <laughs> killed the family, then he, his life would be on the line. Yeah. That's what's in really important to buy understand. It. Buy it. Like that's where I like, again, I make that association of like, you have to build as if you're building a mafia because you have to take the consideration that you're putting your name behind it. You're putting something that, that you can lose if some, something that you did impaired the integrity of the structure, of the business, of the relationship, right? There has to be buy-in there. And uh, I love that portion of it. I, I very much so, um, like I subscribe to that very much. Oh, 100%. So like if I say I'm going to do something, I write it down and then I sign it. Right, my 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 wife's sister. She was saying, "Hey, I want to quit this job. They're not paying me. They're not giving me what I want." She's like, "You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna quit this job if they don't give me my raise." I'm like, "Are you you serious about that?" She's like, "Yeah." I was like, "I actually have it in here. It's in my third page in my notebook." I'm like, "Go write it down." She wrote it down, and I put signature, and I was like, "All right, we'll sign it." She's like, "What do you mean sign?" It? I was like, "Well, you're serious, right? Yeah. You're gonna do it, right? If they don't give you the raise, right?" And she's like, "Yeah." I was like, "We'll sign it then." You know, and when she signed it. She even looked at me. She's like, you looked at me. And then a week later, she's like, hey, I got the race. I was like, hell yeah. Like, that's what's up. You know, you have that buy-in. And when I tell people that they, you know, they want goals, they want to say they want to work out or they want to stress less or they want to breathe better, whatever your goal is, you want to do ice baths. It's like, cool. I need 66 days from you because that's, that's the average neurological pathway that it's going to take for you to actually build a habit or something that's going to be long-term. Right, I'm all about sustainability. You need to give it ample amount of time if you're actually serious. I'm gonna write it down. We're gonna put the dates in there. We're gonna put your goals, and then you're gonna sign it when you're done. And then you're gonna give me 500 bucks, right? If you don't accomplish this, what you just signed, it's my 500 bucks. Mm -hmm. You do get the 500 bucks back. Mm -hmm. All you're doing is you're putting skin in the game. 100%.
you're just putting skin in the game. It's like, put your money where your mouth is. 100%. I'm not going to keep it. It ain't for me. But if you do fail, if you don't stick to what you said you were going to do, this is failing yourself. So now that you have something, you have something on the line, say you're not feeling it. And you said you're going to work out at 6 p.m. and it's 5.30 and you're like, oh, I just don't want to do it. Well, I think that 500 bucks that you might lose might give you that last bit of, sorry, that last bit of motivation you're going to need to actually oh, push forward. So skin in the game is just one of those things where, again, that builder, that that was a very powerful story. Mm-hmm. Like you died mm-hmm. if your house if you killed cut corners. people. Yeah. Well, yeah, but then you look, you have these cookie cutter homes that have smaller two by fours and they're probably going to miss a couple rafters because at the end of the day, they're looking to build a hundred of these houses in a short time frame because they're looking to maximize their profit instead of maximize the integrity and the longevity. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really, they don't have skin in the game because they're just going to get bought out if something happens. They have insurance or there's, there's these modes of, um, of these methods that we've built in, inside of this economy that make it so people can cut corners. That, that we we favor the quantity versus the quality. 100%. It's in politics. It's in business. It's in communities. It's in religion. It's in everything. And so that's why that author is so good. Yeah. He's, his book, Black Swan, Skin in the Game, Anti-Fragile, all of those books are just, he's just, he he's definitely, whatever his title, philosopher, academic, but also rooted in reality. Like his, his stuff man. is so good. And he's a business. <laughs> and he's a business. You know, like one <laughs> yeah, dude. I got to get this I, guy on the podcast. 100%. <laughs> yeah. Like one, one guy I have a, a loads of respect for, and he's just everything on the internet right now is Jordan Peterson. Yeah. Well, he eats it. He's a capitalist. He's like, I make tons of money off of this. I'm, I'm not scared to say that. I'll tell you transparently, like I need to make money. It's hard. And I, and he makes money. He makes a lot of money. A lot of he money. Makes a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Do I agree with everything he does in and in the capitalistic world? I don't know. I don't think it's again. I'm a sustainable human being. I'm I'm looking towards what's going to be here in you know 200 years. Whereas like if I believe you're a hard time capitalist and you see what it's doing for the economies as well as the sustainability of the environment we live on, like you know you study enough biology and you study enough chemistry you realize that we're one big cell in this globe and sooner or later there's going to have to be a a compromise of working as a unit as a whole and i know a lot of people get really scared on that topic you know you go into socialism you go into communism you go into this like world order and it's like well i mean we're already doing that on a micro level internationally we call it patriotism and we're behind it See, we're going to have to get to a point where like we already are in a world economy. We circulate goods from China. Like we circulate goods from everywhere around the world, but we're not calling it a world economy because we have these barriers in between. And again, that's not my, uh, it's not my expertise when it comes to like supply chain and, and world economy. But my wife did study economy and she she does look into the, mm. the actual like methods and the equations mm-hmm. of what's actually going on and what's going to be here in in a hundred years. And um, well, right now, I I think it goes really with the um, the trend of like our short attention spans. Everyone is looking out for that gratification right now. If there's one thing to knock on Jordan, it's like, well, I mean, what's that going to do for your great great grandchildren? If we agree, every action has a reaction, right? Sure. So. The moment we choose a side, then there is always that counter side. So our interpretation of good and bad, capitalism bad, uh, sustainability good, or eco-friendliness good. And I think there's some truth in both, but I think where we find that middle ground is uh, 
we've got to recognize the power of capitalism and how it's created arguably in the last two, 300 years, the, the greatest economy of all time, right? In all existence. But again, are we talking longevity? Exactly. So then we look at it and we say, is it perfect? Absolutely not. But if we position ourselves against it, then this whole system has to crumble for another one to, to sprout up. And the people who are more inclined for the system to crumble are also the people I would, I would never want on my team. I wouldn't endorse it. No way. <laughs> there's I, no, I would not there's, endorse it. There's no way, no way I'd want the people that think creating a community and then not realizing that when there's more than one person, there's politics involved, not having any understanding of what it means to build a community, uh, construction, all of these hard concepts that have been figured out over hundreds or thousands of years. And for them to think that they can just pick up and do it in a space and do it in a way that they're going to even be there long term is is pretty silly, you know. And it's like you don't you you can't even be successful in a system that it feels like you anyone can be successful, and especially here in America. And you're going to go and start over, and you're going to build a whole new system from the ground up. Like you still live in your grandparents' basement or your mom and dad's basement. You know what I mean? I think we can come to an agreement of, because I'm a capitalist, right? Otherwise I wouldn't do what I do. Do we think that it's imperfect? Absolutely. Do we think that there we can make it better? Absolutely. Can we shift from an oligarchy or from a, a predominantly, can we shift that to focusing on our actions have consequence? Sure. Our decisions day to day affect our life. I think we can. Is it going to happen tomorrow? No. But I think also, you know, saying you're in capitalism, right? Like you're literally I a business owner. It. Yeah. <laughs> it just doesn't feel right to demonize it all at the same time participate in it yeah. because it, the only person that looks silly is you, yeah. right? At the end of the day. So under making that kind of consensus of capitalism is imperfect, there's a lot that needs to be developed. And that's that leads perfectly into where you know what you're doing what you want to do there's a shift mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's this is a, i like to say like it's a, it's a big ass yacht or a big really big boat say like a titanic right you can't turn on a dime yeah. that's societies that's culture to understand the transition is where entrepreneurs come into play mm -hmm. that's where capitalism does come into play cuz then you draw change mm -hmm. right cuz really at the end of the day we're 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 biting or we're fighting for people's attention spans and we're fighting for their resources. And this type of uh, capitalism or like I call it like a conscious capitalism, what's slowly moving towards uh, more of a kind of like a social capitalism, right? Like it, it is including more and it's being responsible for the detriments that your product is causing, right? Like right. Let, let's just, you know, gas right now, everyone complains about what the gas is like. Well, if you were to take into account truly the full extraction, the carbon offset, like really take into account like a, a barrel of, of oil would be way more expensive, but it's not like that because we subsidize it. Right. So it's like these kinds of things and policies that were made way before our time mm -hmm. are just kind of things that have to be revised or we have to just break it in general, like make something different like solar yeah. it's like cool that well, now solar has the argument that it's just it's cheaper and it's more sustainably friendly okay i'll do that then right so it's like you don't necessarily have to make all of these changes inside of capitalism you can just you know kind of 
switch the the lanes that you're you're riding in and start pushing something you're you're going for because i'm i really do hate the people who just want to bitch at people and they just want to like oh you're doing something wrong and pointing the finger it's like you're wasting your energy yeah you have the the privilege and luxury to even think that thought yeah. you know what i mean like most people can't they're yeah. just in it Stop, you know don't be the hippie behind like a microphone just screaming at people let your actions speak for speak yourself. Go create that sustainable community. The one thing my mother taught me my whole life, she's always said it. She's like, I will protect you, you know, to the ends of the earth, but I can never be accountable for your actions. Like she said that my whole life. She's like, I can never be accountable for your actions. You have to be responsible for what you do. And I'm just trying to make sure that I do my best, that you're going to act right. And I was like, that's a that's powerful, you know, because there was a point where I was going through this shift and I was like telling everyone what they were doing wrong. And I was just stressing myself out. Yeah, dude. And then I realized like there comes so much more gratification. There comes so much more change in by, in being the change you're asking for, right? Uh -huh. So I got on roof, started installing solar. Stop bitching at people to like be more conscious. And I just started going to do conscious things. And the next thing you know, like what I was preaching 10 years ago, like people telling me you can't sell solar on sustainability those same people are building their whole marketing funnel on sustainability today. And it's like, okay, cool. That changes. It's one decade, right? Like I've seen this happen from people who were stout and they would just knock me all day for even caring about the earth. Like you can't sell on kindness. Yeah. Now their whole, their whole business model is based on just making it so that they can appeal to the public on that they're trying to do something right but that's uh that's been a fun one to navigate is is all these uh what i like to call money grabbers in the industry because solar's hot like solar makes a lot of money and everyone right now is they'll tell you like oh yeah it's we're making a change in the world the sustainability and it's like you lying sack, bro like, <laughs> yeah they're greenwashing is oh, what it's called is that greenwashing yeah, yeah. i've been it's the term i think that's a that's a market that um would be really interesting to get involved with, which which is actually holding the business organizations that are saying they're going to make these changes and then following up and seeing if they had skin in the game they actually made those changes and being a consulting firm or a company that actually holds them to the fire uh that would be an interesting Dude, that's interesting i like that because that's what we need i mean there's there's companies in green tech is what it's called and for our listeners, the only reason I know this stuff is because I, I created a business in the, the middle of the pandemic or the beginning of the pandemic in the, the, um, in this space, you know, and so I, I deep dive and before I do anything, I, I'll deep dive the topic. So, um, learning about green tech, there's organizations that are creating software to keep, to measure people's greenhouse gas, like their green uh, emission or their uh, emissions and different things. And it's, I don't know how they calculate it, but that's, that's pretty interesting. So it's like, this company is, is rated by the Green Business Bureau mm -hmm. because they have this software and they implement it and then they source sustainable material and they source within their country and not from Asia, right? Uh, there's a lot of different things, but... People don't really understand the true cost of something. They get it in front of them. They don't realize that, you know, millions of those things had to be made and then sold to then make it make sense as just from a material aspect, but not from a long-term environmental aspect. And again, that it comes with a lot of complexities. It comes with a lot of studies, a lot of data and research, and it's just coming to light. And there's a lot of... Uh, was there a lot of debate on what's right and wrong? And I, 
I truly believe the people who want to uh, combat the debate or, well, I mean, those who get the benefit from what is current. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think coming to that truth of our actions have uh, equal reactions or every cause has an effect that came from me studying nutrition and wellness and seeing what you put in your body, what you drink, different things have, has an actual effect. And that's just the microcosm or the small ecosystem of you. That's just one. But then when you add the ecosystem of humans and animals and plants and everything, it's really easy to see how creating plastics, how what the true cost of that product, it might be cheaper now because you, they're using certain types of, types of cheap labor in China and manufacturing super ch ch uh, cheap in China. So you can get it 10 cents on the dollar, but the true cost of those plants, those manufacturing plants creating that plastic it creates a hazard within that whole zip code or area code. It damages all the plants, the life forms. And so if you start, mm -hmm, you start, you start actually calculating the true cost of what it is to use plastic, how long it takes to break down hundreds of hundreds of years, it getting into our water supply, our food stream, uh, into fish, different things, and our bodies un, uh, unable to process it. I think the first fetus was found with microplastics in it, I think two years ago. That's terrifying. Terrifying. Because our bodies just don't know what to do with that synthetic um, Yeah, you can't really break it down. It's really difficult to find that. And I, I think some really smart kid is going to find some substance that eventually is going to you know, find a way to break down these plastics and hopefully, hope, so then we can start to use that, circulate it, recycle it. But again, it, it comes down for me, like all these conversations revolve down to a sustainability mindset, a resiliency to just make sure that we leave this planet better than we found it, right? Like it's it's really simple. And I, I think um, all of us are going to have ways in which we want to affect or, or leave a legacy or have family remember us by. Um, and I, I've gotten really into this one. It's really like easy to just buy into um, grandkids understanding like, yeah, like, we were on the solar revolution or we were on the change where humanity was on the brink of either figuring it out or blowing ourselves up, right? Like humanity's at this point where we, the first time ever recorded, we can blow up the planet, right? We have this capability as human beings from physics and from science and putting bombs together and atoms and energy. And it's just at a point where it's uncharted. We don't know where to go right now, right? And that's terrifying. Or it's exciting because on the other side of fear can be excitement. It really is in the perspective we want to take, on the narrative you want to feed, and that's where it comes down to what you ingest mentally, literally, you know, like visually, energetically. Like it really comes down to what you're putting inside of your body and then being conscious of it. And is it something that you want to hold on to? Is it something you can build off of? I, again, I think there needs to just be more of a conversation of just the awareness. And that's where the book club comes in. I truly believe, like when you said earlier, Jim Rohn says like, you know, the five closest people are the ones who affect your life. It's like, that's the whole show me your friends, I'll show you your future. And like, so like my little spin on that is like, show me your book club, I'll show you your future. Because it's like, let me know the books you're reading so then I can see the narrative you're curating. So then I can see the actions you'll start taking to then the node in the network, what chain reaction will come off of that. 
right? That's where like I see the power in knowledge and books. And I'm, I'm of that. Like statistically speaking, where I come from and where I grew up, I shouldn't be where I'm at. Like statistically, right? Like they say like single household like parents. Like it's like I think 80% of the people in jail right now had a single mother. And so I'm like, that's a hard conversation to have, yeah. Single mom, four kids. I'm the youngest. We grew up in a hood. Like a lot of my friends in the pen, a lot of my friends have gone in and out. Like you just see what's going on. And you would to break a statistic, to break a mold takes a lot of discipline, right? I give all of the all of the love, all of the the props to my mom. Like she whooped our asses. And that's where, you know, if you want to get in the conversation of like child abuse and like discipline, like that's, I needed it. If I didn't get, I have severe ADHD. Like I, if I did not get a discipline at home, I would have run amok way more than I already did as a child. Cause I was, yeah, I was crazy. Like in classes, like teachers loved me cause I was a comprehensive child, but they hated me cause they couldn't turn me off. And my mom would just made it really known that like, Hey, you can do whatever you want, but you're accountable for your actions. And she was the law when I got home. And we talked about that over the weekend. It was just like, if she didn't do that, I would have been running around with the gang. Easy, Easily. easy peasy. No <laughs> doubt about it. If I didn't, if I wasn't scared of her coming at coming home, then I would have been, I, I feared her more than anything else in the world. And she said that I had to make sure that when you came home, you knew I was your worst nightmare, not anything else. And she like, it, it, it's crazy. Cause That's she good parenting advice right there. I well, I have this a lot with my, um, so I co-parent with my, my first, my first child. And we have this conversation a lot. We're like, do we want her to learn the lesson at home or do we want her somebody else in the world to, to teach her that lesson? And it's these hard lessons that you got to learn. Every action has a consequence. And if I'm the consequence, then I'll let you know I'm the consequence. You can also nurture the lesson after. Yeah. Right? For sure. Yeah. My There was never, like, my mother would say, like, she'd, like, she would spank me as a kid. And then she'd come to me crying. Mm-hmm. I'm like, it hurt her more than it hurt me. And I'm like, man, what you mean? Like, I'm bruised up. What you mean? It hurts you more. Like, I'm literally still hurting. And then I got older. And I accidentally hit my nephew one time. Like, I'm not even, like, hit him. Mm-hmm. Like, I just grabbed him too rough and he starts crying and bro my world broke in that moment i got on my knees i like checked his arm i was like dude i I didn't mean to grab you that hard i'm so sorry we were playing like my nephew's a big kid he's he's like seven 109 pounds big boy so when he hits you you, you're you're play fighting for real and i grabbed him hard one time he started crying i'd never seen him react like that and i broke down and I called my mom not even like 10 minutes later. And I was like, I'm so sorry for ever making you feel some kind of way about trying to do your best to raise us responsibly. Because I know you never once wanted it. Well, maybe once or twice, but, you know, we won't go there. Mm-hmm. I have this joke with my mom, but <laughs> there's one time I'll never forget it. <laughs> but really, though, it was always in the nature of like, yeah, are you going to let them learn the lesson outside of the home or in the home? It's, important. it's, a, it's an important question because I know a lot of parents that don't want to discipline their kids. Yeah, yeah they don't want to discipline the, the the kids because they they fall under that narrative of I'll be the bad guy, I'll do this. I was disciplined as a kid and I don't like my parents. Like, I don't, I, it's just hard for me to realize with from my own experience, like without that discipline, like you said, we yeah. would have been in gangs, locked up, in prison for life. So 
Uh, we like have no I, idea. Yeah. There's so many things that could have happened if we didn't learn in the home versus yeah. outside the home. Right? 100%. I have a lot of like the network that I talk to will then talk about the psychological traumas. And then they'll start talking about like the rep- the repetition of them beating wives or beating their children and like having that cause. Like, Yeah, they just sound soft to me, bro. It, <laughs> you know, in some nature, you know, you have to consider um, that is the narrative that's being pushed in the world yeah. right now. It's like yeah. Physicality Read one book, the, the Coddling of the American Mind, and you'll see what's going on in universities right now with that same mindset of words are violence and you're like nah, you ain't seen violence dog you've never gotten you've never so seen you didn't violence. get punched in the mouth huh? <laughs> yeah. oh got it i posted a picture of my dad yesterday me and my brother got into this brawl one night at a bar and it's just I, i'm not the biggest fighter my brother is i'm mm-hmm. i'm not the biggest fighter I, I i enjoy the physicality if i need to i fight but like i'm not the one that's just going to look for it and one night i was out with my brother and we were older and we never like brawled together you know and like everyone knew that you probably don't want to mess with both of us, you know, because mm-hmm. we have each other. And it's, there's this one night, this one dude just made some vulgar remarks to my brother. And my brother, because he was with me, didn't act on it. And I was like, I noticed it. And I, for the first time, he showed and practiced patience. And I'm normally the one to do that. So then I felt very inclined to take the other role. So I start spewing off. And it's five and it's two. We're two. And they're getting in the car and I look at him and he knows from the look in my eye. And I just run up to the car, <laughs> open one door. He opens the door, makes sure that they can't get out this side. It turned into this brawl. It's two on five. We handled ours. The story about it is my dad found out about it and drove over as fast as he could to like, you know, to have the tea to talk about like how when I had, I had a fat lip, you know, like yeah. he was just so proud that his boys just handled it and like, it was one of the few like father-son moments that I can remember that it was like he was there to to nurture and, you know, just bullshit about the the cuts, mm-hmm. you know, because he wasn't there. Like, I, I was a crazy kid. I had like 13 visible scars on my head. Mm-hmm. I just, I was rambunctious everywhere. And, you know, like I thought about that in that picture. I was like, he wasn't there for any of them. But as soon as he heard we got in a fight together and he was able, not far, he's there lickety split like just no time he showed up wanted to have the conversation and it was one of those moments where like me my brother and him had like got to share that bond of like what you would deem those you know family moments yeah and we don't condone violence on this podcast but uh, if you're a man you fight unfortunately which is a part of the the nature of men someone breaks into the house is the wife fighting (laughs) so i always tell my wife like there's equality i totally agree (laughs) yeah there's there's always going to be equality in the home but i ask my wife this all the time like who do you expect to get up if there's a noise or someone's breaking in the house. Yeah. I'm like, that is sexist. Mm-hmm. If you think it's me, if you say me, it's sexist, right? In that terminology. But at the end of the day, I will always instinctually. It's why I sleep by the door. Right? A protector. Like, yeah. yeah. It, that's essentially, for me, that goes a little bit further, like evolutionarily, like why do we have more muscle yeah, bigger species, stronger species. It just you're not even yeah, you're just talking biology. You're yeah. not talking about all That's of it. the No, like because like, women the politics that come with. I and this is maybe I'll get you know, I'll get canceled on this, but I think women have the harder life. You know, when it comes to like biological sense, they need more energy to actually exist because of the cycles they go through. Right, we don't have aliens that grow inside of our bellies. I think you're talking about babies. Oh, babies! Yeah, yeah, that's what we call them when they come out. But you have this seed, yeah. 
That... Yeah, women, women are fucking powerful. Yeah, that's never oh. a discussion. And I'm, I'm glad you said that because that's it's it's not even a thought in my mind anymore. Yeah, they have they definitely have the harder life. One hundred percent. Like I told my mom as a child. Like I grew up with two older sisters and mom, so I was very I was introduced to menstruation cycles really early on in my life, and I knew what it was like. You know, like my mom would be different once a month. My sisters would be very you know needy, and as a younger brother, I just knew cold water and foot rubs that that helps right but as i got older and i started really realizing what was going on and i remember going up to my mom and i was like thank you so much for making me a boy you know i don't have a, i don't expel my own blood once a month once a month organically yeah organically like that's just you are gonna do that once a month because you are an xx chromosome oh well Thank you for the why. Yeah, seriously. I appreciate that. And I will take my workouts and I'll take my licks in life and I'll do my best to uphold whatever this biology or, you know, heaven sent, whatever energy that made it to the point where we work together as a unit to for the survival of this family. You have to take on your course. I'll take on mine, but we'll work work as one, right? Yeah, man. And even given birth is is, I think there's some tribes, they try to quantify what it would be like to go through birth as a man and so they spend 48 hours in and out of sweat lodges or sweat teepees and i don't know if you've ever experienced any of that for three or four hours of just drenching yourself in sweat feeling like you're going to pass out but you're in in that and then you're dancing for 48 hours straight no sleep nothing and that's their way to it's called the sun ceremony and it's their way to pay respects to the women because childbirth is probably the hardest thing Dude, that's anyone will ever go through on this on this planet. Uh, it makes it makes me feel really uh, hypocritical. I've never done anything to really experience other than like just give props. Yeah, like, acknowledge me. Pound it. Yeah, yeah, man. That's a conversation I have a lot in my circle of friends. Which is, man, if you have never experienced natural childbirth or been in the presence of your significant other while while a, a human is transitioning earth side there's nothing more powerful and more empowering and more just like i you can't even there's not really words to express that and the respect that comes with that for your significant other and the most pivotal moment of probably their entire lives in my entire life mm -hmm. it's it would change the way that we see a lot of things yeah and not even saying you know um feminist the feminist movement or whatever is right because I think women are even taking the harder path when it comes to that. Being, uh, trying to be the breadwinner or in a book I'm reading called Pay Up right behind your head. She's the CEO of a very successful Fortune 500 company. And she's also the, the you know, the, the caretaker at home. So she has two impossible jobs that she does. And she's like, I'm, I'm not sure if this whole thing actually makes sense. This whole movement or no. this whole, yeah. No, it takes a tribe. Like there's... I really do hope if there's a vision towards the future, I do really hope that it gets back more towards a tribal sense. Like people start working together because really raising it, like I, I got lucky. I was raised in a community, although it wasn't the safest, it was a tribe. Like I knew tons of friends and we were kind of like, all of our parents were working, so we had to work together. So we kept each other safe, right? And like you have this networks and whatnot, and like you can trust people again, like, I just don't think that we're so friendly to neighbors anymore. You know, that's a that's a real big problem because that causes stress. You can't count on people. Like, 
uh, the reason, another reason of getting into culture is like, I think it's like 75 to 80% of people report that they are not happy working right now. It's a ridiculous number. Hi, bro. Ridiculous number. But it's like, if you're not you happy working. You like this working, statistic. 75% of college graduates don't have a job in what they went to school for. I'm one of them. Okay. Keep I'm going I'm on, on that thought. Yeah. So being that there's so much discontentment in the workforce, you're going to spend a third of your life working. Like, why wouldn't we focus on one guarantee that you have to have a, a working living wage to exist right now? Why aren't we focusing on how we're actually getting out of that as far as psychologically? Nobody's talking about that. And that is a huge one for me. And then it's as an entrepreneur and a capitalist, realizing there's an opportunity there, right? It's like, okay, nobody wants to focus on that. Fantastic. Like, I'll do that. 100% would get behind that because at the end of the day, all you're doing is you're just being the hype man for somebody who wants to be happy. We all want to be happy. Like that's a driving nature biologically. We all want to feel good. And I don't believe that companies are tailoring their, say their profits or their operating expense to making sure that their workforce is. And I, it's not that expensive. It really isn't because one way or another is the way I love to say it is like you're going to pay mm-hmm. either on the front or the back end. Mm-hmm. No way that you get both because – that's where we get into this lost cycle. That's where you never build loyalty and you just have to keep worrying about somebody leaving you because you never worried about them being happy where they were. Mm-hmm. So it's like, so true, it's dude. just really kind of getting ahead of it one way or another. You're going to spend the money. It's kind of how you build your structure and what you're looking for long-term. Again, maybe it's not a long-term company. Maybe you're building just to sell. And gosh, those flips are, they're devastating, dude. And that's why I'm such a big proponent of personal development as a central mission, because I think when the individual focuses on what they have control over, which is themselves, their development, different things, eventually they're going to get on a path where they figure out their passions and their purpose. And then if we invest and pour into those people with passion and purpose, and they're in a position for a decade plus, and they are self-actualized or get to close to what, you know, Abraham Maslow says is self-actualization, then you have a bunch of fucking lit on fire with a passion and a vendetta to just bring so much abundance and so much growth into this world Mm -hmm. just as the byproduct. Mm -hmm. Not because they have to, but because they choose to, which is even more powerful. They've tailored. They've (laughs) like their structure and foundation. It was built on that. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know how people don't can't see that individual and be like, that's who I want to employ or who I want to invest in or whatever, like those type of people versus now let's just figure out how to, sell the dream to everybody and put them in these shitty jobs that nobody actually likes and enjoys to pay a bill. It's like, come on, bro. Yeah. There's a, there's another world. I got to talk to one of my employees today that, um, she did something essentially to sabotage a relationship. And, uh, I let her know that I was very much so in respects of the move she made because it was risky to courage. And that, um, I just needed her to know that at the end of the day, like I, I came into this company to make a difference for the better. And that my only, I tell everyone, like, I'm the COO of the company, but my job description is to make sure that, that everything's working optimally so that at the end, everyone can be happy. That's it. And I told her, I was like, I'm, my, my success is your happiness. If I can make sure that you're happy, I'm successful. And I need you to know that when it comes to business owners, I didn't just get given a job. 
Like I've worked my ass off for a decade. And I said that. And I was like, I've worked my ass off. And I've built and I've sacrificed and I've tailored myself so that when I got here, I wouldn't be the person you think I am. Because she literally said, I'm just some employee and you're the boss, so you make the decision. And I cut her off and I said, you're a human and I'm a human. And although I have more authority to make the decision, I've also been in the space and I've earned it. Like you are right now. You know, and so instead of firing her, I promoted her. And I just told her, I was like, you are not just some human. You are a leader and you are a culture creator and you're somebody that other people count on. And I need you to start changing the narrative. Because if you don't, then yeah, you're not the person I want to work with. Yeah. And and, I, and I'm, I'm not the, that boss you're thinking about. I am one of your leaders who's standing next to you, not standing in front of you, pointing at you. Like I'm somebody that's listening to you because I know at the end we're better together or we should separate now. And it was just, it was one of these powerful moments. She starts crying and she just says, thank you for even seeing the potential in me because you're the first leader to ever tell me that. And I was like, that's because I'm not like your typical leader. I came from where you are. Like I've done everything you've done. I know what it feels like to be in your position and try to do something right and fuck up. That's okay. I'm not the leader that's going to tell you mistakes are wrong. If you're not making mistakes, you're not pushing enough. So I'm definitely going to encourage you on that. And I'm going to let you know that this mistake is actually going to end good for you because I like I like happy endings. You know, I like to make sure that what we do is never in vain, but it's in progression. And she just started crying. She said, thank you. And I was like, thank you. You know, I needed this as much as you did. You know, like it was powerful for me because like I'm I'm thinking different right now, you know. Well, death just knocked on my door yesterday of the creator who created me, right? Like, So it, in that sense, I was very much so like, how do I, again, how do I want to live my last day? And it was uh, very much so in the, in the spirit of forgiveness, in second chances, in lessons and progressions. And it was really cool to get that experience today and have that conversation. So would you say you give them one, one of those, one strike and then? No, dude, we're really, we're really kind, man. We have like a five or six penalty. Whoa. It's crazy. We have a couple, like two warnings. So I think about this a lot because the word kindness is used so much in entrepreneurship. These, the candor is kind, Mm -hmm. you know, the transparency uh, is kind. The, I'm going to tell you how it is and then we're going to go from there. I think that's kind. So I think speaking with candor is kind, but I think as an, as adults, after strike two, after, after strike three, it just starts, you start almost training people to to make these larger mistakes because there's no consequence. Does that make sense? So where do you draw the line with, this is, this is going to be one of my last questions, but where do you draw the line with kindness and candor? Because I don't think those two are the same, but they can be synonymous if you package it right and sell it, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, for sure. There's there's a sweetness that comes in hard candies and soft candies, for sure. There's different, different formalities we can think of it. Um, I have this line that I live by, burn the boats, not the bridges, right? And so I have bridges. I have lots of relationships. It doesn't mean I'm taking them every day. It doesn't mean I'm using the bridges. But to burn a bridge means you destroy something, right? Um, have you ever heard the term burn the boats? Yeah. Okay, so Hernan Cortez, Spanish conquistador. You know, he gets to Mexico shores and he's facing this powerful army that outnumbers him 10 to 1. His men start getting scared and 
He's like, all right, well, I'm burning the boats because we don't have a choice. If we go home, we're going home on their boats. And so that's what I do when I make decisions. If my decisions are going to, I'm going to burn the boat because I'm not going back anymore. Like this is what's happening. We're going forward. Uh, but when it comes to bridges and it comes to like these decisions or say these like um, opportunities to write the course, because once I make the decision to no longer go on the course, what's well, over and I move on, there's no more. So I guess like I want to be candor in the sense of like, I'm going to tell you that I'm going to be very kind as far as the consideration I give towards second chances to right wrongs. I'm very much so I, I want to exhaust every option, but as soon as the, every option is exhausted, then it's a really hard line of like, well, there's no going back anymore. And I think I learned that in the relationship with my father, you know, like I, I learned that at a really young age, like if he said he was going to be there and he didn't show up, okay, I have to start learning really quickly that I can't count on you. And then I got to a point where it's like, okay, cool. This is the relationship we have. You tell me you're going to do something, maybe. So I started getting to a point where I would draw the line in the fact that I'd stay optimistic, but I would not put, I wouldn't put my, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't put the house on it. I wouldn't bet on you actually coming through. So it became like this, this real realism or this realistic perspective to this optimistic perspective right like you have to really take the probability of the chances of something happening so when it comes to i guess the candor and the kindness right like i guess the the, the delineation between the two is radical candor is just being completely upfront and honest and then kind is i would say delivering it in a certain sense because i do agree with with gary on a lot of the things he does he doesn't bullshit you it's gonna yeah. tell you and i Truly, for me, that is the nicest friend I can have. My yep. wife, my wife, and I. Li I married her on this line. She said, "Words of the loyal, great upon one's ears, like a cheese grater." Words of the loyal, great. Words of the loyal, great upon, upon one's ears. One's ears. So, like, I'm going to tell you everything, regardless of how hard the truth is, and I believe that to be the kindest thing you can do to humans. Because if you lie to them, then you're never giving them. The reality of a situation you're curating for an egotistic perspective so i i'm i'm on Gar gary's like line where i believe candor is kind kindness is candor because truly if you can't say something and, and say vulgarity or just complete rawness well then what are you are you saving them or are you saving face yeah like one way or another, you're not willing to have that conversation. And that's where I think my, my, I'd say like my most pivotal, most pivotal relationship of candor and kindness is with my wife. Poor woman has to deal with every thought that I have in my brain because I tell her if I think a thought that may be in any way negative or in any way detrimental to our relationship, well, I see that as thoughts are seeds and seeds get watered and if water gets on them they grow roots so i'd much rather just pluck that seed and the way i do it is i release it into a vibrational frequency we've talked about it i said it to you there's never a point where you're ever going to be worried or anything like that like anything in any way is going to get in the way of our frequency as a synchronized unit i'm just going to go ahead and say it out loud so that at least we can both deal with it together and she's 
well, she's the most well-spoken individual I know in my life. So she really is really good at like having that conversation and letting us debate about certain things. Yeah. It's a long, yeah. Long winded answer on the candor and kindness. Oh, you're good, man. That was great. Where can people find you? Um, Instagram sustainable sway. Exactly how it sounds. So sustainable and then S W A Y. Are you still, are you on TikTok? I'm not. No. You're on LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn. Hostway. Yeah. J O S U E. There's a U in between the S and the E. It's not Jose. Everyone calls me Jose. That's why I went to Sway sincerely. <laughs> sincerely. No, not the Not the whole. That was just a good that's <laughs> a good intro. Yeah. You know, I left the whole in college. That's a good one. <laughs> I like it. Well, uh, Sway, I appreciate the the conversation today. We're gonna have to do it again. Yeah, definitely I hope there's it's not a lot the last. of stuff that we had to we had to graze over we squeezed it in i yeah. appreciate you uh, jumping straight into it all right well back as always we appreciate your attention thank you for your awareness if this brought you any value today like subscribe share this episode real quick what book would you recommend if you're you're curating a book, a book club one book you got to pick it man search for meaning victor frankel read it you heard it here for first wolf pack peace